Hey, this is Barbara Corcoran, and you are now tuned in to Business Unusual. And everything you ever learned about business, throw it out the window. I'm going to tell you the real deal. Listen in. Today, I'm going to answer all your burning questions about work, life, starting a company, getting on track, and much, much more. Be sure to call in to the Business Unusual hotline with your question at 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. But first, I've had plenty of bosses in my life, and I know that a real bad one is sure to kill your confidence. I've been getting so many questions from people about what to do when their boss doesn't see eye to eye, when they don't feel like they're measuring up. How to handle that? Well, today I'm going to answer a lot of questions about bad bosses. So if you've got one, listen up. Hey, Barbara. My name is Valentin Perez, calling from Toronto, Canada. My question is, how do you deal with managers or bosses that tells you that failure is not an option? that doesn't really like to fail or learn and only does safeness. How do you deal with those guys? Thank you. Valentin, if the guy you're working for won't let you fail, I would suggest you replace him. Move on. You're never going to be the best person you can possibly be if you're not allowed to fail. I had 22 jobs before I started my own business, and I can tell you that if you have a boss who doesn't allow you to make mistakes, or better, encourage you to make mistakes, you've got a bad boss. The reason I say this is because you need to make lots of trial and errors to figure out what really works in any business, and to get better results, and to get better than your competition. Imagine telling a kid they can't try this or that, but they ought to just be good at it. It's ridiculous, but people do it at work all the time. I would suggest, Valentin, you start shopping for a new boss as of today because you're never going to grow under this stranglehold that this guy has you under because he doesn't allow mistakes. He's just not a smart boss. While I was building my business, I got a call one time from a producer who said he wanted to do a real estate show on New York City real estate, and he thought I'd be perfect for it. I agreed. No one knew more about New York real estate than I did, and I went out for that edition totally confident if I worked really hard and did my best that I'd be hired. They were really wowed by my performance. But a week later, I get a call telling me that they hired a 22-year-old woman. She worked for me, but she was an ex-model, and she was beautiful. She was dumb as a board, but she was beautiful, and she got the job. I wanted to crawl under a rock and like, I didn't even like her, honestly. I felt like firing her. That was my knee-jerk reaction. But you know what I did instead? I made a public failure of it. I was smart enough to rise up, announce to everyone in the company, 500 people at a sales meeting, that I had great news, that this young neophyte was going to be the real estate expert on this TV show, and let's give her a round of applause. And then I tell them the story about how confident I was. I fell on my face. I was embarrassed. I was angry. But I got back up and realized how good it was for the business. And guess what happened? Everybody knew they had permission to fail. Everyone there knew they had permission to try and fail, and it was no longer an embarrassment. I used that opportunity to teach a great lesson that your boss just doesn't know. People have to be given permission to fail. Otherwise, they never grow. Hi, Barbara. This is Alberto from Frankfurt, Kentucky. Thank you for taking my question. If I were to take a first step to become a good or better team lead, what would that step be? 
Alberto, you're asking how to become a better team leader. I'm going to tell you you're very capable of that just by virtue of the fact you're asking that question. And my short answer on this is you've got to walk what you talk. If you want people to work extra hard, you got to make sure you're working extra hard. They'll follow your example. If you want people to be team players, you have to make sure you support every team member in every way you possibly can as a boss. The best leaders in the world lead by example, and there's absolutely no substitute for it. There's no other way. I think I'm a great boss. I feel I've always been a decent boss, but I've learned to be a really good one because I'm willing to do anything that I'm asking anyone else to do. And you know what that does? It breeds equality and it breeds trust. But I learned about being a good boss actually from having a whole string of bad bosses. You know, often seeing something really poorly done makes you pretty good at doing it better. So let me tell you a few of what not to do's by way of the bosses I had to make sure that you avoid that entirely. One job I had out of my 22 before I started the business of real estate was I worked for a tent company as administrative assistant. What I learned in that company is that politics count, and my boss played politics constantly. I was finding myself in competition with the other administrative assistant. I didn't know how I was in that position, but he constantly pointed out what she was doing better than me and what I was doing better than her, and it bred no teammanships. And what it did for us is it didn't make us a team. It made us pit against each other. It wasn't even our idea. It was just a bad boss. Be careful of the politics and favoritism. I learned in that job never to be that kind of boss when I became a boss. Another job I had was at a hot dog stand, and I did a fabulous job on the highway selling hot dogs. I think my sales were bigger than most others. But I had a boss that just couldn't give me a compliment. So I never knew that I was doing better. I had a good day. He was proud of me. I would die for a compliment. By summer's end, working that job, I was losing the wind in my sails. Yeah, got to learn to compliment people when the compliment is due. I had another job where I had a negative boss. She was negative in the most menial kind of mean, nasty way. I was a nurse's assistant, and I had to post temperature charts for the cancer ward of all the patients from the temperatures that were taken the night before. And she would constantly ask me, is your number right? Did you reverse that? Is that a good number? She was on my back like a monkey. And you know what I learned from that boss, that terrible boss? Never to ride someone's back. Convey confidence. I know you could do it. If there's an error, you can correct it, but never ride somebody and point out what they're doing wrong. They lose their spirit. So those were three bosses I learned a lot from. But let me also mention a couple of great bosses I had and how I mimicked them. Really, when I went into my own business, they never left my mind. I worked for Alan as a real estate secretary for a development company. And Alan gave me compliments galore. I even told him I could take shorthand and I could barely do it. I would just write my own letters after he dictated. It had very little to do with what he dictated. But you know what? He would just smile and say, that's a nice letter, Barbara. And sooner or later, what do you think happened? I would kill myself for that guy just to be accurate and make sure I found a way to make his letters perfect. That's a good boss. I learned to mimic that as a boss myself. And of course, the best boss of all time was Joe Jafuni, where I worked as his receptionist answering the phone. 
he was an example of total trust. As a receptionist for a big development company, when I went to him and said I thought that the plumber was going out to his buildings too often to make plumbing repairs, I uncovered a great kickback scheme. He loved me for that, and I suggested he hire his own plumbers and he saved a ton of money. If he didn't trust my opinion, he wouldn't have saved the money, and I wouldn't have gotten promoted. What a great guy. And when I went out and started my own business, he was the first guy to give me an actual listing that I could rent, which was my first commission check of $340. A great boss that wound up in a great place for him and for me. But let me return to the original point. You've got to walk what you talk. If you're going to lecture to people and tell them what they should be, they're going to listen to you for a week or two, and after that it's lip service and they're turning off their ears. If you actually do what you're asking them to do and lead by example, you'll find you'll have a team of people that are exactly like you. Let's take a short break to talk about a company I love. My friends at On Deck Business Loans. Now let's get back to the show. Hey, Barbara. This is Adam from Prescott, Arizona. I'm originally from New Jersey, and I've been living out here a few years, and I've just noticed that there are a lack of some really important chain businesses that I grew up loving over on the East Coast that don't exist here. And in my mind, it seems like a no-brainer to take out a loan and possibly become a franchisee of one of these businesses that seems to be so sorely needed in this kind of market. What are the not-so-obvious challenges that I might face, and why aren't more people doing this, or are they? Anyway, thanks a lot for all your wisdom and uh, for all the cool stuff you've done on Shark Tank. First off, Adam, you have no New Jersey accent anymore. How'd you pull that off? You give me a tip back. I've been trying to lose my New Jersey accent my whole life, and I haven't succeeded. So go ahead. Phone that in for me, please. Okay, I think you should slow down, big boy. Just because a brand does well in the Northeast doesn't mean anything about it doing well somewhere else. You have to do some careful research in my mind to make sure that a brand for one part of the country is a good fit for another part of the country. For example, one of my most successful franchises I invested in Shark Tank is Cousins Maine Lobster. And they do double the business in one state over the franchise in the very next state for no other reason other than it fits one state better than another. It's the same great lobster rolls, but different cultures, different climates, different tastes. So you better do your homework. If you decide to buy a franchise and bring it to your neck of the woods, most lenders will want to see a track record of success before they approve a small business loan. You should be aware of that. And with you being a new franchise owner without experience, it's gonna make it tough or impossible to qualify for a typical business loan. The best way to finance it is through the franchise itself. Most franchises offer a financial plan because they wanna sell these franchises to people like you. And many will help you get on your feet by providing the needed financing. And that's really where you should shop for the money. So before you plunge in, again, my advice is you better do a little research because what goes well in one neck of the woods doesn't mean it works in another. Hi, Barbara. It's Fauna from Albany. I wanted to ask you about businesses that are pre-revenue. How can we show investors that we are worth investing into and not just the red flag? 
Uh, Donna, you're not going to show investors you're worth investing in until you've proved your concept that whatever you're selling can actually sell and on a consistent basis. The fact of the matter is that no one likes to invest in a pipe dream, especially savvy, well-educated, moneyed investors. They're too smart. You need to prove your concept, showing it does actually work, whatever your business is, and that a lot of people are willing to pay for it. And then, once you've done that, you can raise other people's money. The only exception is if you've discovered some phenomenal technology that nobody else has and that anyone would recognize as pure genius, then you could go out and sell it free revenue because people find it irresistible that something new that's going to run away from them, like a technology play, has to be taken while it's hot. You have to get in early. But that's probably one-tenth of one percent, if even, of all the businesses out there that are getting started. But for the general businesses out there, 99.99999% of them, you need to show that it works. That's when people open their wallet and give you the cash. Andy asked me on Instagram, do the same income qualifications apply to business loans as regular loans? No, business loans and personal loans are looked at very differently, Andy. Personal loans are based on your personal financial statement and your personal income. For a business loan, your local bank typically expects very different qualifications. They expect several years in business, a FICO score over 700, and about a million dollars in annual revenue. That's what you need to get a typical business loan. Small business lenders are usually a lot more laid back. I know, for example, my sponsors on deck look for a healthy business with at least a year being in business, $100,000 in annual revenue, and a FICO score of 600 or better for the business owner. And that's the difference between a small business lender and a bank. And that's all the questions we have time for today. If you have a question, leave me a voicemail on the Business Unusual hotline, 888-BARBARA. That's 888-B-A-R-B-A-R-A. You can also tweet it to me at Barbara Corcoran, and I may just answer it on a future episode. You've been listening to Business Unusual with me, Barbara Corcoran. Come back next week to hear more steps and missteps I took on the path to success. Business Unusual is part of the iHeartRadio podcast network. Search and follow Business Unusual on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts.